We talk a lot in psychology and have talked a lot on this podcast about the relationship between your mind or your brain and your body. Mental health issues like depression can manifest themselves in physical issues like body aches or disrupted sleep. Physical health problems like chronic pain can result in mental health issues as well. So what happens when we become intentionally aware of this interplay and to the signals that our body is sending us? My name is Eric Bullman. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. A new book called The Mind-Body Way explores the way embodiment, that being the awareness of your body's response to stress or to overwork, can help people who are taking on leadership roles in their lives. It may sound a little like a martial arts type of philosophy, right? At least it does to me. You know, Taekwondo, the foot fist way, or Jeet Kune Do, the way of expressing one's innermost feelings through minimal body movement. In this case, we're talking about an exercise of intentional awareness to assist people in getting the most out of their leadership roles, one that presumably does not involve punching or kicking. Now, let's meet the authors to find out for sure. I am Julie Bolak. I'm a psychologist and I live and work in Ottawa. I love nature, the outdoors, and just had a fabulous weekend here in Ottawa, as I'm sure you did too, Eric. Sunshine, yes. summer weekend, and felt very embodied, which is the theme that we'll be talking about today. And I want to know what that actually means uh, as we go forward. But first, Casey, can we have you introduce yourself? You know, Eric, I had this moment when Julie was introducing herself where I was like, Julie likes to jump into ice cold water in the middle of winter and she's kind of into biohacking and like all these ways in which I could introduce Julie came to mind, <laughs> which I think I think speaks to our collaboration and how much we've gotten to know each other. I almost feel like Julie could introduce me better than I could, but but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so I'm Casey Berglund. I live in Calgary, Alberta. My work really, I would say, is at the intersection of purpose work, embodiment and entrepreneurship. So I love helping people use embodiment or listening to the body as a gateway to accessing their inner truth and kind of like what they're here to do in the world. And then for some people, turning that into a business offering. And so, you know, I think before you hit record, you said quite interdisciplinary team we've got here. It's very true. And I'm, I'm grateful that we get to each bring our gifts to the table for this project. And so let's just start by talking about the project itself. You've got a book out. What is it called and what is it intended to do for the reader? Our book is called The Mind-Body Way, The Embodied Leader's Path to Resilience, Connection and Purpose. And it's really for the leader who has felt a call to do leadership differently. Maybe they've had a health issue, a loss in their family, or have experienced overwhelm or burnout, something that has led them to feel like there's got to be another way. And so our book is really about helping leaders bring their body on board, listen to their body wisdom as a pathway and a tool to experiencing what we think is a better way to do leadership, one that's more connected, where we experience more resilience, where there's more meaning and purpose and fulfillment in that leadership path. Yeah, no, that summarizes it really well, Casey. I think it's a, it's a guide. It's a way of helping you connect more to your body to use that wisdom that is all innate in all of us, but is often lying dormant 
Now, you guys say that the target of this book is leaders, and it's a fairly new book, so I've had a chance only to read an excerpt of it. And in that excerpt, you seem to suggest that just about anyone is and can be a leader. So are you really targeting leaders or everyone and their leadership potential down the road? I think in terms of our our target, we do have a specific client or avatar or person in mind that would benefit most from this book. It's really the person who is in somewhat of a leadership role in their life. Now we all could and are in some way a leader in our life, but it's the person who is, is as Casey had mentioned, looking to do leadership differently. So whether it's a, a CEO or an executive, or I'm thinking of the audience of psychologists, someone who is supervising and consulting in that sort of leadership role, everyone can benefit. And many people are earlier on in their journey of embodiment in really connecting more deeply to the wisdom of the body for lots of reasons. And we can get into those more, perhaps if you think it'd be helpful, Eric, but so many things in our lives lead us to become disconnected or disembodied, whether it be our culture, living in a very individualistic go, go, go culture, childhood experiences, you know, when we say we're hungry or cold or whatever, and we get told, oh, no, you don't feel that way, right? We start to disconnect from our own sense experience and then look, look to and listen to more external cues to tell us how we're feeling and what we need rather than connecting more deeply to ourselves. Okay. And this connection that you're talking about is a connection between your body and your mind. And you're you're saying disconnect a lot, right? We start to disconnect. Does that presume that when we're younger, we all have a connection that we lose over time? And how is it different then for a kid uh, who has not yet learned to disconnect the two things, the mind and the body, uh, if that makes sense? We speak to this in the book, Eric, in, in earlier, probably in the introduction, actually, where we talk about how we come into the world embodied. And so like for people who even think that like, oh, embodiment is so hard, it's it's more like a remembering because what you just said, like kids are naturally embodied, naturally connected to their cues, whether that be physical cues like hunger or body temperature, like Julie alluded to, but also like feelings, internal feelings. And there's this sort of unfiltered maybe more primal sort of re- sort of response to those body cues and and then you know conditioning socialization family system structures our work life living in the world that we live in almost like promotes this sense of disembodiment and so part of what we did prior to writing this book is interviewed a whole bunch of different types of leaders and one of the common themes that we heard from each of these leaders is that when they reflected on embodiment and what that meant to them. And for some of them, that was a new term for them. But when they really got into it, they spoke about how they remember a time when they were embodied. Sometimes in these interviews, it was like the first time recognizing that like that is a really natural state. And and then they told this story of disconnection, whether that came from, you know, for some people like dieting or for some people working late hours in a busy job, whatever it might be, it's almost like there were cues from the outside that led to this disembodied experience. So definitely, I think throughout the pathway, the embodied leader path that we speak of in the book, it's really like guiding people back home while also deciding when it's advantageous to be disembodied, <laughs> you know, like to to be conscious of the impacts of both embodiment and disembodiment and bringing more awareness around people's 
choice and the practices that can help to support them in using embodiment in a way to produce the outcomes that we're, they're actually looking for. That quality that Casey touches on is so important, that discernment. It's not an all or nothing embodiment is good and disembodiment is bad. We often become more disembodied or disconnect as a, a survival mechanism. And one of the pillars of our book touches really on this precise happening of the body that you know certain things shut down in, in order to protect ourselves. So it's a biological preservation. And so before we go any further, I'd like to have a definition maybe of embodiment, right? We talk a lot about psychology and how your mind actually affects your body and your body affects your mind and the two things go hand in hand. Is that basically what we're talking about when we say embodiment, just an awareness of the correlation between the two? I think it's actually really important to frame it up by saying it's like the mind-body the mind dash body, <laughs> there's like a oneness, there's a wholeness in this mind body system. And, you know, language feels limited sometimes. And so in truth, it's like, it's a mind body system. And I think with so much focus on the mind, we speak a lot about bringing the body back on board in the whole mind body system. And so in like a really simple, simple terminology, embodiment could be defined as bringing awareness back into the body, <laughs> bringing awareness back into the body, noticing sensation and receiving wisdom from that sensation that can guide next steps, can guide action. It's an interesting question because as we were writing this book, it's like, when you Google embodiment, there's no like one definition. It feels like it's a really fluid, more of a practice than a definable thing. And yet, of course, it's a valid question. I would say bringing awareness back into the body is the simplest way to speak about embodiment. To add to what Casey is referring to that I think might resonate with many folks in terms of the psychology world, we often use the thinking I'm, I'm pointing to my head and tapping my head we, we get really focused on thinking <laughs> and especially if anyone's done like a master's or a phd we get trained to think 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 and embodiment is the ability to feel your feelings and draw from them the data your body is sending so it's about sensing rather than thinking if I go to a bookstore and look for the mind-body way, in what section is it going to be? Am I going to find it in the self-help section at Chapters? I think the true answer is no. You're going to find it online. <laughs> <laughs> the, the literal answer is our, our book is through a print-on-demand system. So you, can, you buy it online and, you know, eventually we'll be you know, bringing our books into different independent bookstores, but the best way to get it is through the online portals. And there's more and more kind of retailers that are carrying our book now. Um, but I, I totally get the, <laughs> the underneath point of your question. I think Amazon puts it in the mind-body connection category. So definitely in the self-development and in the leadership spaces, it'll bridge both. Sorry, Amazon has a whole category for books about a mind-body connection. That's a like that's a literary category now. I was just thinking when Courtney posted over the weekend that it was the number one new hot releases. It was in the mind body category, so it was a, it was kind of news to me too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You guys are catching the wave uh, as that becomes a whole new category of stuff online. Now, uh, you mentioned your co-author Courtney. The excerpt that I read 
you had two specific examples of people uh, whose names were Courtney and Julie, which I couldn't help but notice are also the names of two of the authors. Are you referring to yourselves in those excerpts? Was Courtney the one with the stuffed unicorn? Or did you just attribute names to protect the identities of the innocent and use your own for lack of a better uh, idea? Great question, Eric. No, Courtney is is the one with the unicorn in, in the excerpt that you read. Mm-hmm. And I am also the real in the flesh Julie in the excerpt. <laughs> yeah. So throughout the 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 book, The Mind Body Way, we have interwoven stories of from our own lives and also stories from um, archetypes or people that we have compiled archetypes of all the different people we interviewed for this book to really help people get a sense of what it might look like, this embodied leader path. And so presumably then, uh, the three of you have over the course of your professional lives come to this realization, you know, you have also discovered that you disconnected and now are attempting to reconnect. And I'm wondering for each of you, how has that looked over the course of uh, your professional lives since you first started working until today. How is today different than, say, 10, 15 years ago, if you're even old enough to have been in the workforce 10, 15 years ago? The disembodied sort of pathway in the in my working world. And let me just say it's an ongoing journey. Like last week when we had our book launch, <laughs> I was feeling in my body this like pushing up against an edge of stress and feeling like this pressure to like do more. And yet my body was like, I'm done. (laughs) And so I guess I want to start there that for me, it's a practice that's ongoing. And I would say I just have more awareness of my body signals sooner. Like for example, I felt that edge of busyness last week. And there was a lot happening, right? We're each running our own businesses and living our own lives in addition to running to putting this book out into the world. But what I really noticed after the weekend is I only needed like a day or two of rest to feel like, oh, there I am. Thank you, body, for giving me those cues that I need rest. Whereas I feel like 10 years ago, I would have missed the early cues that were telling me I can't do more or like take a break. And I would have tried to push myself further and further and further until it would have required a lot more than just a day or two of rest to feel like I could come back and come back into inspiration and presence and a groundedness. So I think for me, there's a big connection to how I now navigate stress that has shifted hugely over the last decade. Yeah, that resonates deeply with me. As you know, Casey, <laughs> through the past three years of, of the co-writing process of this book, Casey and I actually did not know one another prior to uh, starting on this project. And now we know each other very well <laughs> after co-writing together every week uh, for the past three years. So the journey towards more embodiment has also it's also ongoing in my life. And I've, I've noticed not just that I'm more attuned to the, the very subtle cues of connection and disconnection and more expansion versus um, contraction, letting me know where I want to move towards in my life, what's okay, what I want to invite more of, and where I want to back away from or set more boundaries for. It certainly has helped with that. And as a result, it's less about just making do and kind of getting through stuff. That was my old kind of default way of being of, oh, I, you know, 
I can do this. It, it'll just require an extra hour of yoga tomorrow or something to get back into my body. Instead, it's like, oh, I could do that, but I don't need to anymore. I can choose instead a more whole, um, whole body way of being a, a more of a presence. And okay, if this doesn't work, this is like some sort of toxic energy, whatever it may be. I actually don't need to subject that myself to that anymore. So it's a discernment, not just in terms of listening to the cues on my body, but in terms of action. So it's very much an active process of choosing different ways of showing up in our lives so that we can not just be more productive and happier and all the rest of it, but have an energy that I think others in my life actually want to spend more time around too, that you, you tend to attract more of what you put out. So if you want to be happier, well, it takes kind of showing up with more happiness. Is there a flip side to that though, right? I mean, if you attract what you're putting out, then presumably you're also repelling uh, that which you don't want to put out. Does that then cause other problems if you are cutting people out of your life, for example, or you're, uh, you know, not accepting that job that they want you to do at work or that kind of thing? Uh, or is that even what we're talking about? It is. I, I think you raise a really interesting um, point, Eric. With, with every choice we make, there are consequences, and they're not always easy. I would say, though, the choice to become more connected to what really matters and listening to the wisdom of my body has led to some changes in relationships, work, personal, etc., that have not been easy and that have been extremely beneficial to my well-being and just my sense of ease in the world. Like, mm -hmm. like life is difficult, but it doesn't have to be so difficult. We can find more ease. And I think we find that when we when we're honest with ourselves, when we give ourselves permission to really be authentic. Casey, you were saying that you have noticed over the course of, you know, trying to be more mindful of, of how your body's sending you signals that you see these signals earlier. I'm hoping you can give me an example or two mm. of what those signals feel like, what you notice specifically that then tells you down the road, okay, I better be doing something differently or uh, yeah. this is where I should be going. I mean, I'll use last week as an example, feeling like just there was a lot happening, very busy, right? And I felt a um, kind of tired when I woke up, <laughs> like, whew, like I could use more sleep. So my body was like, I'm tired, give me rest. I also tend to feel sensation a lot in my chest. My chest tells me a lot about where I'm at, where like it can get really tight. That's where I tend to hold stress. Or when I feel like there's too much going on, my chest can constrict and tighten and I have a hard time like getting a full breath. So I started to notice that happening um, last week in particular. And so, and then like tension that comes through my neck and shoulders. So for me, when I'm in a biz, like, I'm like, Ooh, I need space. <laughs> it really shows up in my energy levels, in my neck and shoulders and in my chest. But there's other signals I get in moments that are, that, that are maybe like more subtle. I think about when it comes to, you know, we're all in a world where we're asked 
to, you know, go out for coffee with a friend or book a meeting for a work thing, right? There's always these options for saying yes or no to a request. And for me, Julie spoke about expansion and contraction. For me, there's like a real clear way in which I feel a yes in my body versus a no. And it feels more subtle. Like, yeah, sometimes it's a hell no and a big contraction in my body. But sometimes it's just this like tightening that I feel overall versus an excited, expansive, like open. Even as I as I talk, I'm using my hands and I'm opening up my body. It's like we all do that because our bodies have its have their own way of expressing. Um, so I find that I feel I feel things in subtle ways and in big ways. And you know, Eric you wouldn't know this about me, but I actually was a a dietitian for a decade. And so my gateway into embodiment was helping people to connect with their bodies around food and eating. And it was amazing to me how many people didn't know if they were hungry or not, or what hunger felt like. Whereas if you think of a baby, like a baby roots for milk when they're hungry and and then they stop. And so to me, that was an example of this like level of disconnection and how how much it takes to kind of come back into the body and learn slowly over time these signals, basic signals like hunger and fullness, but then also these more subtle signals like, is this a yes or a no? Or how am I feeling about this conversation? Many times in our book writing process with the three of us, Courtney, Julie, and I, we'd be, there were lots of decisions, like whether or not we'd hire the team that we chose to work with, page two books. And and we'd ask each other, like, what do you feel in your body as you sit with this decision? And like, if there's any level of like constriction or contraction, what is that about? Is that about the investment? Was there something else about the people? Is there something else? Like, when there's common dialogue around it, it becomes easier to just have that little check-in and and learn, for me anyway, learn what my own signals are. And I think they're different for everyone. What, what you were describing there, Casey, with that checking in made me think just how important it is to, to create the space to tune in. I think one of the major contributors to disembodiment is our, you know, constant noise, whether it be dinging or TV or what, like all this noise in our daily lives and the go, go, go nature of our lives. We don't give ourselves enough time and space to drop in to our bodies to even check out what, what cues we might be getting. And so one of the, some helpful ways of, of connecting more to our body are to have some sort of practice, whether it be meditation or mindfulness or getting out in nature. So many of the people we interviewed, many of the leaders we interviewed talked about how important spending time outdoors or nature in some sort of movement practice as a way of coming more in back into their body. And I know that's true for for the three of us. You know, all three of us have, are trained yoga, certified yoga teachers and have a longstanding mindfulness and embodiment practices. And, and those practices have been pivotal in our own embodiment path. So with three authors, you're putting this book together. What happens when all of your bodies are telling you something different about the way that you should go forward with this chapter or with this publishing house or with this online platform? Right? Then what happens? I'm going to start by saying more than I ever could have imagined, our bodies were pretty darn in sync. (laughs) Like there were so many moments where we 
we, and I think this is due to co-regulation, like where you're in a space and your nervous systems are sort of our nervous systems were sort of attuning to each other. And so sometimes I would find that I would have an experience in my body separate from Julie and Courtney, not with them. And then it would shift or change together with them. And because this is a collaborative process, it's not a book by Casey Berglund or by Julie Bolak or by Courtney Amo. It's a book by all three of us, it feels like our bodies would actually come into sync when we were together. So I think co-regulation played a role in us finding a flow in decision-making. And that hasn't always been the case. There were certain moments where we like butt heads a little bit or had differences in perspective or opinion. Julie, do you want to talk about those moments? Like how we handled those? Is that fair for me to toss that in your court? Sure, why not, Casey? I'll get you back. I'm just kidding. Honestly, I want to echo what Casey said, like we've, we've certainly had differences in opinions, but as Casey expressed, like, I, I can't imagine a more beautiful co-writing experience. And so the disagreements have been like, I'm trying to think of a, an example. I, I can't even think of a concrete example case. I can think of one. We were in the editing process and we were collecting feedback together to send to our editor publisher team. And there was something that one of the authors, one of us had put into the edits that really felt like it was out of alignment with the values of another author. Um, and there was like a, like, I can't have that in there. Uh-huh. And so a bit of a rubbing right. up against each other's edges yeah. and I think because of us walking the talk of embodied leadership, aka building trust and care and, you know, being in connection with one another, part of embodiment is being able to hold space for discomfort. Mm -hmm. So we just like, okay, great. What is it about this that doesn't feel right? What can we do about it together? And honestly, we would, we would just like nip those moments in the bud as they arose in a really fluid way. Like, I wish I could tell you, I don't know, there's a part of me that's like wants to be more real and vulnerable and give you the dirt on our collaboration, but it actually has been so in flow, I think because of our embodiment practice, which, you know, Julie, I think you said something earlier is it, embodiment helps us to have a higher state of consciousness. And when we're, when we're looking at things from a higher state of consciousness, our egos are, are not running the show. No. So each of our need or desire to be right in certain instances that may have come up in a different collaboration, it's like that need to be right got to kind of melt away in service to the higher purpose of the book and in service of each other. So we could meet each other and there are moments where it's like, okay, I'll just let that go. You know, I might not agree with this and it's okay. It's going to be fine. You know, that's uh, that's the one thing that I've told my kids their entire lives uh, when it comes to a situation like that is, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Right. And <laughs> if you have to choose between one or the other, try to choose happiness. Right. Brilliant advice. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So if one of us was like really firm on something, we could sense in our bodies that they really cared about it. And the other two would be like, of course, that matters to you. I support you in that. Let's do it. You know, I find it amazing that you say that over the course of three years together, writing this book that, you know, you guys ended up sort of, I guess, syncing up uh, in a way, the way that you all felt about these things. 
And you did this from across Canada, right? Casey, you're in Calgary. Julie, you're in Ottawa. Your co-author, Courtney, is in Moncton. You're basically syncing up over Zoom, are you not? Have you guys even met in person before uh, this book launch actually comes out? So the three of us together, no. We had several attempts, but due to the nature of the past few years, uh, each time they were thwarted. So, Although interestingly, Casey and I met for the first time just about a month ago in Costa Rica when she was finishing up her trip there and I was just arriving. Um, so we had some overlap and yeah, it was an incredible first meeting in person. Courtney and I go way back and Casey and Courtney knew one another through yoga teacher training in India. So we each have a history. I think that has facilitated this beautiful collaboration. Man, I mentioned Moncton and Calgary and you went with Costa Rica and <laughs> India. Like really trying to make this a global thing. <laughs> Eric, I never even thought of that. You're right. Like we couldn't even we couldn't even just meet for the first time, Julie and I, and in the middle in Canada somewhere. It's like, no, I'll meet you in San Jose, Costa Rica, before you get on another plane. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and your I, other co-author, you met in India of all places, uh, you know, Canada and the global <laughs> village. I like it. In that case, you you guys haven't, all three of you met. Now, I understand you have a, a you said you had a book launch recently. I, the book was just published, I think, a couple of days before we're talking here today. But I also saw you have a book launch uh, scheduled for May 29th. Is that like the big one? Is that going to be in person? Are the three of you going to be together for that one? Uh, is there going to be some sort of press conference and press release and book signing and all that kind of thing? Great question. Yeah. The, the book launch, the national virtual book launch will be April 29th. And that's an event to celebrate and talk more about, about the book. And that will be online uh, April 29th. So that's probably after this show will be coming out. Correct, Eric? Yes. Uh I don't honestly know yet. Uh, you guys are in an awkward position where our CEO, Dr. Karen Cohen, is retiring and we have a whole podcast scheduled for her retirement, which keeps getting pushed off here and there. I'm hoping it will come out next week and then you guys will follow that. Uh, so it might be right around April 29th. I meant to say April. Mm -hmm. I've skipped a whole month in my head here and said May. <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Uh, it may be in and around that time. If it's before, we'll put the link in the show notes. If it is after, uh, maybe there is some sort of retroactive uh, thing that people can go and watch. Either way, we'll put a link to uh, be able to go and look at the book and purchase it in the show notes. So when people do that, right, this is going to seem like, I, for lack of a better term, and I think most people aren't aware of the mind-body category of books that Amazon has now created. They will think of this as a self-help book. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast over the years, right, is there's a lack of psychologists for the demand here in Canada and around the world. Uh, there's a lack of mental health help out there. And so books like this can fill the gap. Uh, online platforms in some way can help to fill the gap. But at the same time, one of the things we talk about is how do you navigate that space of self-help books, a lot of which are just a series of buzzwords and sort of claptrap versus the ones that have some sort of scientific basis. Now, I'm assuming in the case of your book, Julie, you being a psychologist, must have brought some of that scientific rigor to this book. Tell me a little bit about the science of the mind and the body. Absolutely. Thank you. And I very much appreciate 
that question and that reflection, Eric. So the, this book is very much based and grounded in the latest science, but then made very accessible. So people who have read the advanced copy of the book have reflected on how they didn't want to put it down. It was so easy to read. It flowed and they got a lot of practical tips from it. And that was really our, our goal. We wanted to make it so that people could take something away, do something different in their life right now. And so some of the science that lays the foundation for the Mind Body Way book is polyvagal theory. So this is a body-based psychotherapy approach that I've been integrating a lot more into my practice and finding very transformational in the work I'm doing with clients. And it is an updated model of stress. So rather than thinking about stress as you're stressed or you're not stressed, much more nuanced. And then what we can do to help ourselves out in responding to our nervous system, uh, that we're not just you know, we're not just stuck in this, whether it be fight or flight or shutdown mode, but we can actually be responsive and retune our nervous system. Uh, there's this idea that's been going around about rewiring. So, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, and we can actually create new pathways in our brain so that uh, it can widen the window of our resilience in terms of what we can handle stress-wise. Not so that we can just take on more and more stress, but rather so we can show up in our lives in a more full capacity sort of way. And so that's the science behind it and then the practice follows. And you mentioned that people were going through the book as you wrote it, doing some of the exercises. You've put a lot of exercises in little workbooks and, and so on throughout the, the book. Convince me that when I buy it, I'm not just going to be doing homework. <laughs> but am I going to have to write stuff down all the way through while I'm reading it? Am I going to be jotting notes in the margins? Is it going to look like one of my university textbooks when I'm done with it? Eric, you're a grown adult <laughs> and you get to trust your own body's wisdom with how you use and navigate the book. So I would say you would get the most out of it by knowing yourself and trusting yourself in how you want to navigate those pages. And I think the intention is not that everybody read the book and do every one of the exercises. We're very aware that, you know, that's just not realistic. That's not how I read a book. You know, I'm someone that wants to like read the whole thing and then go back to different parts of it. And so we wrote this book so that people could read it from front to back, and that makes sense in a linear way. But also the book is founded on six different pillars. We have body awareness and compassion. We have the mind-body connection, taking risks and practicing courage, connecting consciously with yourself and others. I'm not even saying the title is exactly word for word, but <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out. Trust and integration is like pillar five. And the last pillar is purpose and contribution. So the book could also be read in a like pillar by pillar sporadic sort of way, and it will still make sense. And so what I like to encourage people to do is to like notice where they're drawn, notice how they maybe even break some of the rules around what we're taught about how we should read a book and let our bodies lead, lead us to the places that we're drawn to, because probably you're going to find something there. So in a similar way, there are a few practices in each of the pillars. And if, if our reader, if our reader 
picked up even one of the practices in the entire book and it added value to their lives, to me, that's a massive success. So I would say, you know, ditch the pressure, trust yourself and engage with it in the way that feels right for you. If you're interested in picking up the Mind Body Way, visit the link in the show notes and then read it in your own way. Thanks to Dr. Julie Bolak and Casey Berglund for joining me today and to their co-author, Courtney Arno. Today's episode was written, hosted, and published by me, Eric Bowman. Our producer and editor is Jamie Montgomery. And our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor.